Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and the moderator for this meeting. Today is Sunday, July 18th, 2021. This year, ID numbers for Friday, July 16th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,367. That's 17367. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,368. That's 17368. This morning, A Vision for You celebrates its ninth anniversary with a very special Sunday edition. Twelve testimonials as to the experience and results of the program of recovery and a relationship with power. Many people consider the program of recovery, the 12 steps, one of the greatest miracles of the 20th century. There's no telling how many lives have been touched and transformed by the 12 steps. The sole purpose of this step work is to find power through the experience of a spiritual awakening. The 12 steps enable people of all walks of life, all different types, from all different backgrounds, people who normally would not mix, in spite of all odds, to experience change, transformation, like never seen anywhere else. Yes, as the big book states, it means that all of us, whatever our race, our creed, or color, are the children of a living creator with whom we may form a relationship upon simple and understandable terms as soon as we are willing and honest enough to try. What a miracle. Twelve simple steps which anybody can apply. Today, A Vision for You celebrates its ninth anniversary. Nine years of coming together each morning to crack open the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous, to bring it to life based on our experience as recovered compulsive overeaters. The spiritual chain reaction that grew from Ebby and Bill W. to Dr. Bob in Akron to Roseanne S. in California with Overeaters Anonymous beginning on January 19, 1960, to a vision for you, which began July 18, 2012, and has stretched to countless compulsive overeaters with a membership with, which exceeds 9,000 members and represents all 50 states and over 52 countries. As the big book says, we have recovered and been given the power 
to help others. Yes, God uses recovered people. Yes, we celebrate the blessing of the wonderful growth of a vision for you in the ninth year of its founding. We marvel and rejoice that the incredible recovery and growth has really happened, beginning with myself and 40 members to now a membership of over 9,000. What a blessing. However, we continue to have a responsibility. As the fifth tradition states, we have but one primary purpose, to carry the message of recovery to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. No matter how different our own personal concerns, we are all bound together by one common responsibility. Clearly, our first duty to a vision for you and OA's future is to maintain and grow in full strength what we now have. Only the most vigilant of discipline and commitment to the message of recovery can assure this. Never should we be lulled into complacent satisfaction by our seeming success or allow unthinking enthusiasm to put us off the main track and responsibility of why we're here. This is the subtle temptation which could stagnate us today or disintegrate us tomorrow. Our chief responsibility to the newcomer must always be an adequate presentation of the program of recovery. Our fellowship has been permitted to achieve only by God's grace, love, and mercy. As a fellowship, we ask nothing of power, nothing of personal success or recognition, but we do have an enormous interest in having influence. We want to touch lives. As we better use the language of the heart, may we continue to grow. For so long as we remain sure that our growth is God's gift, rather than any virtue earned or created by ourselves, and for so long as our fellowship around the world continues to be ever more inclusive of those in need, And for so long as we speak the language of love and service, for just so long may our true ambition be the deep desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. This morning you will hear from 12 voices, recovered compulsive overeaters, each describing in their own personal way how the individual steps have changed them. Twelve voices weaving together twelve stories of transformation. Messages of depth and weight, creating a powerful message of hope and possibility. We will now begin with step one. We admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable, presented by Joe M. from Minnesota. Good morning, Leah. Can you hear me okay? I hear you well. Okay. Hi, everybody. My name is Joe, and I'm a compulsive overeater. 
I come from a very painful history of compulsive overeating. It's the kind of history they talk about in the big book, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, not being able to stop no matter how great the necessity or wish and over any considerable period, I get worse, never better. My high weight was 254 pounds. I was binging every night, stuffing my face until I felt sick. I'd wake up in the morning with a food hangover, not wanting to get out of bed, not wanting to face the sunlight because my favorite time of day was the dark where I could hide out, hide out to eat, and hide out from life. I could not stop the freight train that was my overeating. I was obsessed with food where to get it, what type I could get, how much could I get, gathering the money to buy it, planning my time so I could fit the eating in along with other activities, making sure I wasn't seen by other people when I was eating, wiping the evidence off my mouth, avoiding foods that took up stomach space that I wanted reserved for my binge foods, like staying away from fresh fruits and vegetables. I didn't get high off of those. Therefore, I couldn't afford to eat too much of them because then I, would have, I wouldn't have enough stomach space for the sugar, flour, fat, and salt. And when I wasn't overeating, like when I was dieting, I felt horrible. I was still obsessed with food, but I wasn't medicating, so I was anxious all the time. It was like I was sitting on a chair that was missing a leg. Pretty soon that chair was going to fall over, and it always did. And I'd go back into the food even worse than I had been before. Over the years, I experienced a progression of this problem. My binges got bigger. They got closer together. The sense of urgency increased. I could no longer have one dessert at the all-you-can-eat buffet. Now I had to have three, and that was on top of the huge dinner I had finished off before. I no longer had one designated binge night as I had years before uh, in, in this progression because now every night was a binge night. I'm old enough to remember when stores had a closing time and the urgency and anxiety I felt at having to hurry to the store and get my fix before they closed or I wouldn't be able to function that night. I got up to 254 pounds, as I say, about 120 pounds heavier than I am now, which just reveals how much spiritual pain I was in. I didn't know it at the time that that was the root of the problem, but that is the root of the problem. Step one says we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. The big book says I had to concede to my innermost self that I am a compulsive overeater, that this is the first step in recovery. The delusion that I am like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. So that tells me I don't have to admit this to anybody else. I don't have to admit it to my sponsor, to other members of OA. I don't have to admit it at a meeting. I just have to admit it to my innermost self, and it's a big truth for me to swallow internally. The doctor's opinion says I have an allergy of the body, and that is my experience. I have ingredients that when I eat them, I can't stop because my body gets a craving that is insatiable. The doctor says the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And so I follow an abstinent food plan because I have admitted my powerlessness over the allergy of the body. There is a misperception, I think, in Overeaters Anonymous that we have to put the food down first and then work the steps. My experience is the opposite. I engage step one, I admit my powerlessness, and as a result of admitting my powerlessness, I am then willing to take direction and follow an abstinent plan of eating. And then, even in the abstinent state, I'm left with what the big book calls the crux of the problem, which is the way that I think. I have a broken thinking mechanism, and my thinking mechanism is something I am powerless over. And underneath this broken thinker is a spiritual state, which governs everything about my inner life. And that spiritual state got out of whack a long time ago. I got separated from my original goodness, 
And in that state of separation, I became powerless over food. And I used food to try to medicate the separation, to try to bring myself back together again. What the program of recovery has done for me is to show me how to get sewn back up again inside. And it started with my admission of powerlessness. All the rest of the steps are rooted in this one because all the rest of the steps are designed to allow me to search for and get connected to a power greater than myself that will restore me to my right mind. We say in step one that our lives had become unmanageable. What does that really mean? I've thought about this a lot over the last number of months. And what I realize is that it's my inner life that is unmanageable by me. My resentments, my fears, my self-seeking, my dishonesty, my worry, my anxiety, my judgments, my perceptions, all of that comes on me without my permission and without warning. And so I have to look at, you know, that's very different than what my outer life might look like. My outer life might look fairly manageable. It might look okay. It's my inner life that I can't control. Having power over something means that I'm dominant, that I decide what's going to happen. This is not my reality when it comes to this condition. It's a big and humbling pill to swallow to admit that despite my intelligence, despite my emotional development, despite my professional accomplishments, despite any breakthroughs I have in therapy, I have no power, none, over my allergy of the body, my obsession of the mind, or my spiritual state. And this admission is the price of admission into the world of recovery, not the price of admission into OA, admission into recovery itself. The AA 12 and 12 says, little good can come to me unless I first accept my devastating weakness and all its consequences. But it also says that once I admit utter defeat, I can then take my first steps toward liberation and strength. And it says that admission of complete defeat is the main taproot from which AA sprung and flowered. And it's the taproot from which my recovery springs and flowers. So long as I was fighting, fighting the food, fighting my condition, I could not enter the world of recovery and I had no freedom. It was only by admitting that I had no power over this thing that had me by the throat that I was able to then have clarity about what to do next, which was grab hold of the rest of the steps as if my life depended on it because my inner life does depend on it. My inner life needs restoring. What a relief to give up the fight and to at least understand and accept my condition. I accept what I suffer from today and I accept where to turn to for the solution. Step one has been the single soul and powerful entry point for me and its gut level impact on me now gives me the visceral gasoline to fuel my progression through the rest of the steps. Everything I do for my recovery is rooted in step one. The AA 12 and 12 says, why all this insistence that I must hit bottom first, meaning admitting my powerlessness? The answer is that I will not try to sincerely practice the program of recovery until I hit bottom. Who wishes to be rigorously honest and tolerant? Not me. Who wants to confess my faults to another and make restitution for harm done? Not me. Who cares anything about a higher power, let alone meditation and prayer? Not me. Who wants to sacrifice time and energy trying to carry the message to the next sufferer? Not me. Me, a compulsive overeater, self-centered in the extreme, doesn't care for this prospect unless I have to do these things to stay alive myself. Once I admit that, that on my own I have no power, I now go headlong into the next 11 steps in search for that power. Um, we talk about the promises of the steps. What's the promise of step one? Is that I'm going to have a crushing blow. You find at the top of page 42 in Fred's story, 
He says, I've never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. So if you're wondering whether or not you've done step one, ask yourself, have I had a crushing blow? I can tell you right now, I have had the crushing blow of step one, and it opened a whole door, a whole world of recovery for me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Joe M. Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Presented by Diane B. from New York. Good morning. I'm Diane B., gratefully recovered compulsive eater from New Rochelle, New York. Thank you, Leia, for your continued service to keep this meeting going, and thank you for the opportunity to do service. I just want to say a quick prayer that my higher power speak through me so that whatever comes out of my mouth comes from my higher power. Thy will, not mine, be done. Amen. So, excuse me, I joined OA in July of 1986. I believe it was July 11th, that's a week ago, exactly 35 years ago, which is incredible to me. Um, That's been more than half my life. Um, I've been a compulsive eater since birth. Um, Listening to the stories from my mother, I'm pretty much convinced that it was from birth. But my first memory of compulsive eating was when I was four years old. I came into the rooms. I had recovery. Then I had relapses. I had a good share of my relapses until I finally accepted the fact that I had to rely on a higher power and to practice entire abstinence. After many years of recovery and relapse, recovery and relapse, I stopped going to meetings at one point. I didn't use any of the tools. I didn't have a sponsor. I kept telling myself that if I kept identifying as a compulsive eater, I'd always be a compulsive eater. So I left. Excuse me. I had heard at one time that a belly full of food and a head full of program doesn't work. And let me tell you, it didn't work for me at all. So I finally crawled back into the rooms in 2005. I weighed 330 pounds at my last um, doctor's visit. Um, And at that point, the sponsor at that point told me about trigger foods, which I never heard of before. And at that point, I gave up sugar and I gave up wheat. And I haven't had any sugar or wheat since February 5th of 2005. That's a miracle. Unbelievable to me. I still can't believe it sometimes. But I was always told growing up that I had no willpower. That, um, but I never really believed that. Because other than my weight, my life appeared pretty normal. I had lots of willpower. I just didn't have it around the food. On page 45 in our big book, it says, our human resources as marshaled by the will were not sufficient. They failed utterly. Well, I could not control the food. I could never control my weight. I could not control this disease, nor could any diet club doctor or therapist. I was beyond human aid. I had lots of ups and downs until finally in October 2019, I decided that I had had enough. I took on a sponsor from Vision, who I thought had very strong recovery. I'd heard her speak, and I could relate to what she said. She taught me about entire abstinence and told me that we would do the steps like my hair was on fire, which I've actually heard many times on this line. Well, I was recovered in six weeks. Um, I got recovered just before the last Vision for You convention in 2019, and that's when my sponsor and I finally met each other face-to-face, and that was a really wonderful experience. In, we, in the chapter We Agnostics on page 44, in the first paragraph, it says, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. 
Well, I finally had to accept that I needed that spiritual awakening, but I really didn't know what was my higher power. I didn't know what that was. I never believed in God. I never believed in any of those things um, until I came into the rooms in 1986, but I still didn't really have a good feeling or definition for myself. So I started to think about the wind. I can't see the wind. Like I can't see the air moving, but I can see the effects of it. I can see the boat sailing. I can see leaves falling. I can feel the ocean breeze. You know, I can smell things wafting through the air, but I could never really see it. Um, So I had always been told to keep an open mind and to be aware of the evidence or the miracles. And so that's what I started to do. In the second paragraph, it says, to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. So in 2005, when I came crawling back in, my husband was terminally ill. I had three young children. One of them has autism. I was just really a mess. And all I kept thinking was, who's going to take care of my kids when he died? Because I really couldn't. So I finally accepted that I was doomed to be fat, depressed, lethargic, um, that I was going to give myself a slow suicide if I did not adhere to the program of recovery in the big book. But I still relapsed until I totally accepted all this and really, really, really started believing that my higher power could restore me to sanity. But this was just the beginning. So today I'm down about 165 pounds from my top weight. I've learned that the food plan is not the program. Today I can walk and I can hike long distances. I feel much better. My knees and my back don't ache as like they used to. Um, I recently retired from working. I worked with in nursery schools. So in nursery schools, they have these really tiny chairs for very tiny people. And I always had a really hard time getting off, standing up and getting off of those chairs. Or a lot of times I would be on the floor and I would have a very hard time getting off the floor. So when I was at that top weight, I really couldn't do my job effectively. Um, I did the best I could, but it wasn't as well as I did it, as I had been doing it just before my retirement um, this past year. I'm really grateful to be covered before the pandemic hit because the pandemic for me was a perfect storm for binging. I didn't have to go out of the house. I had my groceries delivered. I was in isolation. I could wear sweatpants. Um, But also, I'm really grateful for that because I had more opportunities to go on meetings with Zoom and I also had more time to work with sponsees and to make outreach calls. Today, I no longer fear people. I don't regret the past because of working the steps. I'm much more peaceful and serene. I now realize that my higher power is doing for me what I could never do for myself. I'm telling you, 16 years that sugar or wheat is absolutely remarkable. And uh, since October 2019, really relying on my higher power is really a miracle for me. I could never have done that alone. My higher power changes and it evolves and it matures just as I do. And as long as I continue to see the miracles or the evidence of its existence, I know that it's there and I can depend on it. Today, I see my higher power like a number line, no beginning, no end. If you go into the negative numbers, this goes to infinity. You go into the positive numbers, it goes to infinity, no beginning, no end. I also know that my higher power supports me as though I'm floating in water. I hope my experience will benefit someone here today, and I really appreciate the opportunity to do service. Happy anniversary, Vision, for you. You saved my life. Pass. Thank you, Diane B. 
Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Presented by Kim G. from New Jersey. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in South Jersey. Um, I have been in OA since 1994. I have recovered um, in January of 2011. Um, my top weight was a size 24, but I've also been underweight at a size 2 and been at the weight I currently am, which is a size 10, binging and purging and over-exercising. You know, step three has been absolutely uh, critical for me. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about my old ideas. What I thought step three was, in all honesty, was like Santa Claus. It was like God was this errand boy. I would give God a laundry list of things I would like him to accomplish today and in what order and with what people. And if it didn't happen the way I wanted it to, I would, quote, unquote, take my will back. That is not what step three is. Um, what step three is, is the decision to learn how to turn my life and my will over. I don't have the ability to do that at step three. That explains to me why I relapsed over and over. It was what I called um, the OA waltz. I would do steps one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, relapse. So what step three is in the big book and in the 12 steps is the decision to learn how to do that. How do I turn my life over? There's a skill set I learned in four through nine, and then I actually turn it over in 10 and 11. So that explained to me when I didn't follow up that decision with action, why I would continue to relapse over and over and over. So why am I going to make this decision? Pages 60 to 63, I am confronted with what life is like when self is in charge. In step one, the food dies, I become entirely abstinent, and I am now able to see the consequences of being an untreated compulsive overeater. I don't have the ease and comfort of the food, so I am faced with restlessness, irritability, and discontentment. Page 63 demonstrates to me what my life is like when I'm, when I'm abstinent only, without a solution, that I'm constantly in collision with other people, even though my motives are good that I am a self-seeker even when trying to be kind. I like to call it a people pleaser. That's not what it is. I am going to manipulate you in any way I can, whether I'm a jerk or I'm killing you with kindness so that you do what I want so I can try to feel comfortable. I discover that, that selfish and self-centeredness is the root of my trouble. And sometimes people have a hard time with that because they're socialized to be helping people. And what I heard was, which really helped me is that I am self-consumed. Out of a 24-hour day, I am thinking about me 23 hours. And the other hour of the day, I'm thinking about what are you thinking of me? I learn in those pages that my biggest problem is I need to quit playing God. And I'm given this prayer once I internalize what life is like when I'm living in self and it is untenable and I need to learn a different way. I'm asking God to build with me and do with me as they will. I always use the example of my father as a Marine. He talks about the fact when you go into boot camp, they don't teach you to be a Marine right away. What they do is they rip the civilian out of you until you, are, you have no identity, and then they build you up into the few and the proud. That is exactly what this book has done. And page 63, I've been told that I am powerless, 
that I have an allergy to the body, I have a mental twist. I've been told in step two that I need a power greater than myself. And at this point, when I am totally defeated, that step one is the death of the food, step three is the death of the self, that I need to find another way. I need freedom from the bondage of self. The true enemy is me. And as a recovered woman, how does step three come into my life today? Step three tells me when I'm grounded in self. Step 11 tells me when I'm grounded in power. So I will go back to these step three questions, specifically on page 61, and see, am I, where am, I, am I missing that connection? Am I the victim of the delusion I can rest satisfaction and out of this world if only I manage well? Where is my step 11? Out of, am I trying to be the victim of the delusion I can rest satisfaction out of my mother, out of the pandemic, out of Overeaters Anonymous, out of my job? If only I manage well, because that is self. Am I the victim of, and I'm, I'm, even in my best moments, am I a producer of confusion rather than harmony? How do I know if I'm in Kim's will or God's will? I like to use that sentence. If I am in confusion, it usually means I'm in, God, in Kim's will. If I am in harmony, it means I am in God's will. And let me tell you, I can't do that till I'm in 10 and 11. Steps 1 through 9 get me unblocked. Steps 10, 11, and 12 keep me unblocked. I can't do step 10 when I'm in step 1. I can't do step 10 when I'm in step 3. Step 3 has an urgency to help me get through the steps. And I believe that I actively engage in 10, 11, and 12. That's a reaffirmation of my commitment that I made in step three, that I make on a daily basis. And with that, I would just like to say a big thank you to, to Vision for You. Leah actually um, said something that I was going to say. I remember seeing a meme of Bill W. on Facebook years ago where it says, what do we owe the newcomer? We owe the newcomer an adequate representation of this big book. And a vision for you is an example of a healthy Overeaters Anonymous meeting that does that beautifully. A vision for you is a beautiful example of people that love the big book, who come here, who are recovered and looking for recovery, and they come together in, with that common purpose to, to, to recover. And I'll end with this. I, I happen to love the big book, um, the 1940 AA preamble. And the last sentence in that preamble is, if you don't have a big book, it's time you bought one. Read it, study it, live with it, loan it, scatter it, and learn what it means to be an AA. Thank you so much, everyone. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Kim G. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Presented by Leon B. from South Carolina. Hello, my name is Leon B., gratefully recovered compulsive overeater from Simpsonville, South Carolina, recovered since April 30th, 2018. I first came to OA in the spring of 2005, and yet it took me 13 years to realize I was powerless over food. I thought I had the power to control my eating, and I really missed out on 13 years of living, uh, living a, a spiritual life. OA was the last house on the block for me, and I found it to be a welcoming one. This big book, these steps, really did enable me to know God better. These steps really did give me a new attitude toward life, towards food, my God, and it placed me in a position of neutrality, safe and protected when it came to food. My initial experience with step four was really an eye-opener. 
after taking step three with my sponsor, he gave me this assignment. He said, Leon, I want you to listen to a four-step recording from Harlan G. You know, he said I had 72 hours to get it done, and within a day, I finished it. I sat down with a piece of paper and a pen. I began to listen. I would play it. I would pause it. I would write the meaning of the headings. I would rewind it if I missed something. And once I had complete understanding of the headings of each column, it just all came out. And as instructed, I went down column one, made a list of my resentments of those I had an issue with. Second column, what they actually did to me in 19 words or less. Third column, how it affected me, whether it was my self-esteem, my financial security, my pocketbook, my, my ambitions. I wrote it all down. And when I got to the fourth column of the fourth step, where it said, where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? And that was really the first time I had ever looked at all of my issues from this standpoint. And the trend in that fourth column of each resentment, fear, sex inventory was truly selfishness, self-centeredness, as it says on page 62, which is the root of our, my troubles, our troubles. It says, this new revelation of selfishness, self-centered, I mean, this really motivated me because I realized since I was the maker of all of this trouble that I had been, been in, then I could be the one to fix it, you know. So it was right at that point I was placed in a position of neutrality for food. And righting these wrongs became my central focus. I was no longer white-knuckling it as I finished going through the steps and I did complete them. So fast forward. <laughs> is the order of the God. Fast forward from 2018 to one week ago, even before Leah asked me to do this. One week ago, while on a much needed vacation, I started this new business six months ago, and that's all give to the glory of OA um, and being in recovery. And one week ago was the first time I've had a break since starting this business. So I had some time to catch up on some reading and listen to some old um, some of my old favorite speakers. And I pulled up uh, Harlan G, one of his recordings, and it happened to be how it works and so forward. Old time sakes and kicks and giggles. I put out the pad and pen. I said, let me see if anything, if I've been, you know, harboring anything. And um, and I went down the first column and just started, as I was listening, paused it, 16 individuals, three institutions. Now, I know I, I have had some step 10s building up and I had only been able to do the most pressing and I have a good step 10 crew but I did not realize that these things were swirling around in me. So I said, let me go through this thing. Talk to my sponsor about it. He said, for sure. This time going through how it works, I found some things I missed the first time, you know, and I, I've gone through it with sponsors, but never for myself. Page 66, I went through the first three columns as before, but this time when I got to the fourth column, some cautionary statements really stood out to me. You know, and it's nothing I've, I haven't heard before. Harboring these resentments, which I have been doing. Yeah, 16 individuals, three institutions, harboring these resentments shuts us off from the sunlight of the, the spirit. The insanity of eating returns. We eat, and for me to eat is to be depressed. For me to eat, to be suicidal, have self-hate, mean to my wife, not there for my children. And as the big book says, to eat or to drink, it means to die. We had to be free of anger if we wanted to live. That was a sobering statement for me. Now, keep in mind, I had been harboring these resentments. Then I saw I was to turn back to my list. After the third column, it's telling you to take a look back twice, the bottom of 66. 
this was the first time I saw this word fancied. It said the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had the power to kill. And what exactly did he mean by fancy? And this is a thing that one supposes or imagines, typically an unfounded or tentative belief or idea. I went back to my list. Half of my resentments were just that, imagined. These people didn't even know that I had an issue with them. And it's like all in said. We love to fight battles that don't exist. On page 67, I realized that those that had harmed me, I was not even showing any tolerance, patience, or pity. Pity, compassion, or feeling of sorrow and compassion caused by the suffering and misfortunes of others. I was given no compassion. I was given no patience, no suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. I immediately started to pray and ask God, how do I not become annoyed or anxious around this person and that person? I prayed that over each and every each and every person that I had on that list. Then it says to turn back a second time. Page 67, it tells us again. This is the second time we refer to this list again. These are some statements that really stood out. We've resolutely looked at our mistakes, resolutely in an admirable, purposeful, determined, and unwavering manner. Look at our mistakes. God, where was I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? And how exactly in each situation, I asked myself, I wrote all of this stuff out. Where was I to blame? I listed my faults in the fourth column. It says, do it, write it down in black and white. I admitted my wrongs honestly and was willing in my heart to make these matters straight. This stuff works. This is the beginning of living on a spiritual basis, showing tolerance, pity, patience to those that hurt you. And no matter what they have done to you, look for your mistake. Me, Leon, resolutely looking for my mistake, looking for my pinpointing where I was to blame and admitting my wrongs honestly and being willing to set these matters straight. And if you're thorough about this work, you're going to be writing down a lot. And if you're afraid of doing this, page 71, faith will do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Happy anniversary. And I pass. Thank you, Leon B. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Presented by Barbara P. from Georgia. Good morning, everybody. Barbara P., uh, recovered compulsive overeater from Georgia. Uh, Let me just make sure. Leah, can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. Sorry. So, um, yeah, so step five, I, you know, like I said, Barbara P., recovered compulsive overeater from Georgia, and oh, from the time I was young, food filled me in a way that um, humans around me just couldn't fill it, fill that gap. Um, I had a very unusual relationship with food from the time I was a baby. I worked my way up. My last known weight was 224. I ranged between sizes like 12 to a 22W. Uh, and, and by the grace of God, today I, I'm about 90 pounds less than that. I'm in a 10, and I, I just live in a pretty normal weight. But um, what I didn't realize, I really thought that that was the problem. When I came to away in 1988, my weight got me here. I wanted to lose weight. I thought that was the whole problem. 
And with the first three steps, I started to realize really how the way I used food was different and the way I reacted to food was different. And that was really important knowledge because I realized I was focused on the wrong problem. It wasn't about losing weight. This was going to be about also how I used food. So that was great, and I made that decision to turn away from the way I used food. But what you can hear is I wasn't really dealing, and so many of the speakers before me said, with the problems um, that were driving me to food, to, to use, to use anything and everything. You know, step four opened the door to that. I think really, as Kim G said, I made that decision to turn to the program to, to deal with my unmanageable life, to move forward, and to take actions, because I really didn't know what I didn't know. Step four showed me that I had a lot of anger and fear. But that didn't solve my problem either, because it didn't connect me to any kind of power. It just showed me, okay, I had a lot of anger and fear. Step five was the key that really opened the door for me and that door to freedom that were promised. Um, I realized that I had lived my, my life in a very small protective box. I had built a defense system around me that was so strong, and I built it when I guess when I was so young, I didn't even know it was there. I don't know if you all ever saw that movie where, you know, there, there's a guy who's raised on a TV set, and they just film his life. And, and, you know, eventually, like, he comes to see something's not right here. And that was, like, my entry into OA. Something's just not right here. The big book tells us on page 73, and I love this. This is the description of my experience with this. 73, more than most people, the addict or alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. And that's what I was doing my whole life. I was trying to be who I thought I needed to be. But what they tell you a little bit further at the end of the next paragraph, he's under constant fear and tension. That makes for more drinking. And that's, that was the cause of my relapse. Even when I you know, came into OA and I would get abstinence, I still wasn't hitting the real problem. I was dealing with some of the substance, but I wasn't dealing with the way I was living. Step five really opened that door, and I wanted to, I want to talk about an example or two, but I mean, truly, the first fifth step I did was so powerful, and back then, we used to do it as a group, and that was like mortifying to me. Here I was completely closed off, and now I'm supposed to say my stuff in front of a group, a closed group. But it was the first time I actually looked around and saw other people. Like, I think I truly had gotten so closed in in that box that not only was I closed off and not enjoying my life, but I couldn't even see there was anybody else out there. And I looked around, and, you know, my first example was my mom. I was always mad at her. I blamed her for everything. And at the end of the day, when I did that fifth step, I came to see she had just been trying to manage a really unmanageable situation. I mean, today we have a great relationship, and my, my sister was in town recently. I have two sisters, and it is so clear they are still angry, angry at her. She's there in their 60s. They are mad at this woman still from, you know, and I just, I, it made me so grateful that I've been able, and I think it's only because of this program, to see that whole situation differently, that, you know, here she was doing the best she could. 
It just changes everything. My other is more practical. This is more current. My partner, my husband, John, and I really, I blamed him for everything. I still contend to. I always, my in my magical fantasy world, he's not doing what I expect him to do. Now, one big resentment I had was blaming him for not paying attention to me. But, you know, I came to see the truth with the fifth step. I had to get perspective. I needed someone else in the room, and I needed to say this stuff out loud to really see the truth of it. I had these rules in my mind that he should read my mind, know what my agenda was, do my agenda, and do it when I want, by the time I want it, in the way I want it. Um, the truth set me free. You know, and, and how dare him, he actually has an agenda of his own. And ever so often, I could actually maybe try and accommodate that. You know, it just is the truth. And that's what I realized. I was living in my little fantasy world, and there was no truth to it. There was no reality to it. And, of course, I was angry. I was angry like a two-year-old who doesn't get, get you know, they're binky when they're supposed to. They're just angry. This, the truth, just keeps me living in, you know, in freedom. And, um, you know, at the end of step five, this is maybe one of my favorite lines in the big book. It's on page 75, and it says, it's after the fifth step promises where they say we pocket our pride, but at the end it says, we feel we're on the broad highway walking hand in hand, spirit of the universe. I'm so grateful to be walking hand in hand, not cut off, not living in a little box, living in reality, and constantly brought back to reality with the rest of the steps. Happy anniversary, uh, vision for you. Oh my gosh, like someone said, you saved my life, and uh, I am so grateful. So, uh, thanks everybody for letting me share. Thank you, Barbara P. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character presented by chuck k from georgia good morning leah this is chuck k from georgia just like barbara my good friend and i am really honored to be asked to speak today i'm very proud to be a part of this meeting this meeting has saved my life um, as a part of oa and um, i'm a person who was over 400 pounds at one time in my life a big person, six foot four, and at 420 pounds, I was having trouble picking my pencil up off the floor. And I was considering buying Velcro shoes because I didn't want to reach down and tie my shoes if they came untied during the day. And if I flew, I had to arrive early and I couldn't eat anything that day because I didn't want to have to use the restroom on the plane. And I was afraid of what people thought of me when I would get on the plane. They would look at me. I'd be hunched over, and I'd be this huge person. And I could see in their eyes, holy crap, don't let that guy sit next to me. He'll take up half my seat. And it was demoralizing. Um, the list goes on and on of the things that I suffered. I'm a religious person. I've gone to church all my life, and I've had a lot of wonderful religious experience in my life. But even more, I think, sometimes than an agnostic or an atheist, I had a problem with my conception of God. And that problem turned out to be, I didn't, it, it wasn't what I knew that was wrong, but it was the things that I thought I knew 
that were incorrect that was the problem. And I thought I was right. I thought I knew these things, and I didn't. And because I thought I knew these things, I was closed off. I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't reach for help. And what ended up happening is I developed a lifetime of playing God in other people's lives. And all the time I was playing God with other people, I wasn't doing my job. What was my job? Well, my job now I know is to stay in my own lane, tend to my own garden, and, and work on myself. Set a good example for others. Don't tell others what to do. But I didn't know that. I kind of laugh about program. I, I love my story. I don't have time to tell it in the time I'm allotted, but I love my story and how it came together. And it, I can certainly see how God moved through my friends and people around me to bring me into program. I was 45 the first day I had ever heard the words Overeaters Anonymous put together. And that was also the day of my first meeting. And uh, even my sponsor now, uh, it was uh, we, we kind of stumbled into one another. It's, a, it's another story that I like to tell. But the important thing is, so much of program is the things that I have experienced that I know that have happened, but I can't explain them. I don't know how they happened. I just know that they did. And, I, and it's a truth. Even though I can't explain it, I know it. I feel it throughout my soul. It's an anchor that I can hang my chain on. And that if times get rough, I can always think about these experiences. The catch is, I have to work these steps rigorously, consistently. And I have to keep persisting. Now, none of that means I've got to know what's going on or understand why these things are happening. I just have to do the work. And I think that's the primary reason for me that program is easy to understand, but it can be very difficult to do. Why? Because I want to do things my way. If I can't do things my way, I'm disturbed. If I can't have it my way, I'm going to get ticked off. And that's a big part for me of the reason why program was very difficult for me. Um. So going back to where I'm at now, I uh, had a lot of fear here recently. I've injured my shoulder on vacation, and there was a lot of fear. But you know, when I went to the hospital and the doctors put me on the scale to weigh me, you know I had a smile on my face. Um, I've lost over 110 pounds at this point, primarily in the last two years. And I'm at that point in recovery where every time I weigh myself, I am seeing a number that I've not seen as an adult. And that brings a wonderful smile on my face, even through excruciating hard pain. And one of the concepts that I like to think about when I'm working program is I can act myself into right thinking. I cannot think myself into right acting. And what that meant for me is I can remember all of the days that I tried and I prayed vigorously to the God of my understanding, please do this, please do that. I heard someone say earlier today the laundry list or the, the Santa Claus list. I know I did that. And I always wondered why, in the back of my mind, God didn't do these things for me. I was told that if I asked, I'll receive, and this wasn't happening. 
Well, through the working of program, I learned a very important truth about the God of my understanding. God isn't going to do my work. God isn't going to enable me because that's going to hurt me. I am required to do the work. And what's the work? The steps of, these progr of this program. I have to work them intentionally every day when I get up, throughout the day, when I go to bed, at all times. I have to work them uh, when I don't want to. I have to work them when I am happy and when I am sad. And I have to be consistent. If I'm not consistent with it, then it won't work for me. And those are some of the lessons that I learned. What kind of person was I? Well, like probably many of you, I was a person that wanted to pick up this thing and work it really hard and show everybody I can be the best and know the most and have all of the answers. But then after a while, I'll put it down. And I did that with program for a while. It was effective just like a diet when I was working it, but not when I wasn't. So I think that relationship with God uh, was developed through the consistency of work and being entirely ready, which I think just means having a good attitude about what God, I'm prepared to let God do what he's going to do with me. That's what I think we're entirely ready means. So thank you for letting me share, and thank you for this beautiful meeting. Thank you, Chuck K. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Presented by Tamara C. from California. Good morning, this is Tamara C. I'm so grateful to be recovered today. And um, I am a compulsive overeater. And um, I'm just going to say that I, I know the pain of this disease from personal experience. My disease was killing me. My overeating was killing me. And I uh, know from experience the despair of watching it progress, get worse and worse, and the um, the despair of having tried everything and to get my eating under control and nothing was working. And the fear, the horrible fear of, of how is this all going to end? How much more suffering is there going to be before this disease finally kills me? So when I came to OA, I was looking for help with my eating. I wanted to get my eating under control. And I, I learned in OA um, especially from the vision meetings that my problem was really um, what made a problem eater of me in the first place, my broken way of thinking, my defects of character, as they're called in the big book. I heard on a, um, a meeting someone called them survival tools, and I, I really like that because I've come to see that my defects of character came into play to protect me and help me survive. And now um, I've discovered that um, they are no longer helpful. They hurt me today. Um, and so I want to share about um, step seven and how step seven has helped me. Um, I'm going to read a quote from the AA 12 and 12 in the chapter on step seven on page 76. We now clearly see that we have been making unreasonable demands upon ourselves, upon others, and upon God. And in the next paragraph, it says, living upon a basis of unsatisfied demands, we were in a state of continual disturbance 
and frustration. And so I learned that um, all my character defects were um, all of these unsatisfied demands that, that were not being met. And um, this all became unsaleable goods. Uh, once in a while, a day did follow my script. Uh, everything went the way that I wanted it to go. And then I would think, I have arrived. I've got it figured out. I'm going to be okay until something didn't follow my script. Or even so, when it did, really, it was never enough. It was never okay. I was never enough. I was never okay. So, of course, I ate. So I found my my solution through working the steps and getting the spiritual awakening. And um, step seven impacts my life, not just going through the steps and getting to step seven, but in the, the way that it's integrated into steps 10 and 11. So I get to work step seven every day. And in steps four through six, I got my list of my grocery handicaps. I found out what was blocking me. I got to uncover and discover. And then um, for me in step seven is where I, I began the process of discarding these things. And, and I still get to do that every day as I, as I incorporate step seven in my step work, in my spiritual way of living. And, but this is not something that I am capable of doing. Um, it turns out self cannot get rid of self. So I need um, my higher power to do this. So I love, love, love the seven-step prayer. Um, and in this prayer, I'm asking God to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And um, I love the part of the prayer that says, um, um, I'm now willing that you should have all of me. And uh, in order for me to allow my higher, uh, higher power to have all of me, I have to trust that higher power. And as I practice step seven in all the steps every day, I, I'm growing deeper in this trust that I have a higher power who understands me and cares about me, who knows what's best, that when I give all of me to my higher power, I am safe, I'm not judged, I'm accepted and loved. And then all of me, good and bad, I learned by listening to other speakers that um, I can let God be the judge of what in me is good and what in me is, is um, unsaleable goods to be discarded. I, um, and I, yeah, a lot that I thought in me was bad, I'm finding out that um, my higher power likes that and finds it useful. And there's a lot of me that I thought was good, like my overachieving and perfectionism and all my efforting and I'm finding that um, God is is removing that so I just use the prayer God all that I am and all that I have is yours and the remove from me every single defective character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows I find that my higher power is a healer and will do this for me um, things that I'm noticing are being removed um, fear resentment self-pity the lies that I tell myself, approval seeking. And all of these came into play to help me survive, but now they block me and stand in the way, and my higher power is removing them. And the next part of the prayer, grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. My higher power is also a teacher, a wonderful teacher who shows me a new way and helps me grow toward it. Um, I recently got to go spend some time with a friend from my... Um, high school and college days and and uh, God transformed 
I got to see this evidence of God transforming all my approval, seeking and fear into service and showing up real. Um, even uh, this morning, being nervous about uh, speaking, uh, I, I got to do a 10th step and incorporate step seven in my 10th step. And, and um, God is just teaching me, Tamara, you get to be real and humble and honest and useful. So um, I'm just so grateful that I get to be me. I don't have to fight to fix myself, change myself, be better, to remove my own shortcomings. My higher power is a healer and a teacher, a restorer to sanity with the food and the things in me that drive me to the food. And I'm enjoying the journey. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Tamara C. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Presented by Naomi B. from Pennsylvania. Good morning, Leia. Good morning, family. This is Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Wow, what a morning. My my story is unlike any, not like any every, all the other compulsive overeaters. I was the middle child of five children. And shortly after I was born, my mother developed multiple sclerosis. Uh, back in the day, we found out that um, when when women have additional children, it progresses the disease more. Without realizing that, my mother gave birth to my younger brother and sister. So with my mother being crippled, as she got older and older, more into her disease, she became more crippled. So my mother had to, uh, my mother would sit on a chair all day long. My dad would put her on a chair, and then he would go off. He had his own business, and he worked he worked a lot of long hours. So majority of the housework fell on the shoulders of my my older brothers and I. Being the oldest girl, yeah, it fell on me. Food became my comfort, my friend, my lover. And in many times, it was very kind to me. It never get called me names or humiliated me. Over the years, my mother became much more frustrated with her life. As a fat child with low esteem or no self-esteem, her frustration was developed on fell onto me. I was called names. I was humiliated outside the house and inside my house. I started to diet at the age of eight with one form or another. I finally thought about and heard about bariatric surgery. Thankfully, because of my business, I didn't have the luxury of taking the two weeks off for the full bariatric surgery, so I settled for the lap band. At one of the visits, the doctor was trying to adjust the port in the band, and in the office, he cut my stomach open. And in doing so, you know, of course, he sewed it back up. And then in three days later, um, I developed a uh, very bad infection. Called the ER. They said, come right over. And then from there, they put me into the hospital, and I was there for a few days. Well, God in his glory sent an Ebby into my life to borrow a pie dish. I noticed she lost a lot of weight, and I said, well, you know, how did you do it? She said, Overeaters Anonymous. Thus started my journey. I found an OA meeting February 7th of 2011. So when I first attended my first meeting, it was like, who are these thin people here? Why is there no scale? And then they hand me a book on alcohol. Well, forget it. My problem is food. It wasn't alcohol. Finally, in July of that same year, I had bought them in a dressing room in the store in the dressing room. There's wraparound mirrors. Don't hide anything. I hated what I saw. And so my journey began. 
I had a sponsor, picked up a sponsor. We started to work the steps for the big book. And thankfully, this sponsor nagged me to listen to a new phone meeting. It was called A Vision for You. In those days, there was only about 80 people on the line. Unfortunately, she had dropped out due to health issues. But in the meantime, I put myself out there, and I met a sponsor who started to take me through the big book. Plus, along with that miracle, I heard about a wonderful weekend retreat in April of 2013. I attended. It was over Mount Holly, New Jersey. And that weekend, the big book was cracked open from me and for me. And speaking about big book, the first large print big book I brought, yeah, I bought it from Miss Kim G. And the big book was opened, and it was cracked open, and the steps were spilled out. It was beautifully masterly. Then after one of the meeting, after one of the breaks, I went up to the keynote and I said. I looked at him straight in the face, and I said, may I call you when I'm done working the steps? And he looked right back at me, and he said no. And I thought, well, this is a busy man. He lives in Arizona, but he travels to Jersey and other places. He said, because you'll be dead. Well, I was shocked, and I walked away. I had no idea what he was talking about. But this began my be- my beginning of my steps. Thanks, Harlan, for speaking the truth and being you. In cases which... Our sponsors can help us sort out whom we have harmed and who we did not. The big book said we are made it we are made for our inventory. There are two steps to step two parts, excuse me, to step eight. Making amends and then being willing to make amends. And making the list of everyone I harmed, I needed to pay attention to what I discovered about myself and the problems I caused along the way. I had to come to terms with my own actions in the disease and take full responsibility for the harm I caused others. By listing who I harmed, I'm holding myself accountable to my mistakes. My compulsive overeating never affected me. I'm sorry. My my compulsive overeating did affect me and gave a ripple effect to all those around me or who would come in contact of me. To me, the key to step eight is willing, willing to make amends. There was no going back to undo the damage I caused another. Once again, fear popped up by being afraid of taking the responsibility of the harms I did. Also, I was afraid of giving into people or my past what I caused. I need to move forward on my willingness by cleaning up the ruins I caused by my addiction. Taking step eight gives me the opportunity to experience courage and develop compassion for those who I harmed. Unfortunately, my mother died in 1980. As long as I have not forgiven her or her harms to me, I will find it impossible to make sincere amends to myself or others. I understand there's a lot of pain associated with step eight. I need to reach down within myself and apologize with general remorse of my actions. In doing so, the pain and guilt will start to melt away. Remembering we're all human and we make mistakes. And forgiving others, I'm free to forgive myself, developing compassion along the way for those on my list. Step eight is the beginning of making amends to all those on my list. I've harmed, forgiving others, and in doing so, I am forgiving myself. This was a huge discovery for me. My sponsor suggested that I take my amends letter to my mother's graveside, which I did, and I was able to read it to her and make the amends that I so needed to do. My mother did not ask for the MS 
just like I did not ask to be a compulsive overeater. But thank you, God, there is a way, and I thank him every day for the mercy and love that he gives to me. Congratulations, Vision, for you. You have transformed my life, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Leah, for all your service, and I pass. Thank you so much, Naomi B. Step nine, may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Presented by Kathy Jo P. from Minnesota. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my family. This is Kathy Jo P., a recovered compulsive overeater in Minneapolis. I'm going to start on page 82, reading from the bottom of the page. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. So this is Kathy Jo P. And... um, I came into the rooms in 1980. I put down most of my alcoholic foods and I lost almost all of my weight. I stayed in the rooms for six years. However, I did not work the steps as outlined in the big book. And eventually I decided I don't need this anymore and I left and within three days I ate sugar and I gained back 120 pounds. I actually gained back much more than I had initially lost. And I stayed out of the rooms for 22 years. I came back into the rooms and I was looking for a sponsor that would let me eat sugar. I did not want to put down sugar. And for me, I had to get additional help to get off of the sugar. And I ended up letting go of the sugar, but I still was not working the program as outlined in the big book. And until I found a vision for you this meeting, did I put down all my alcoholic foods and like someone previously said today, started to work this program like my hair was on fire. As I think about this program today, abstinence for me is not just no none of my alcoholic foods, but it's working and letting go of my character defects and my behaviors. The big book talks about having a personality change, a psychological change. My head was on backwards. I needed to change. And when I look at steps four and five and I did my columns, a theme that I saw over and over and over was that people were not following my script and they were not filling my God hole. And I was showing up mad over and over again. As I lean on God as outlined in the steps and work towards having God be the one that sustains me, and work on my spiritual condition, I am beginning not to show up wanting people to be a certain way so that I can have, I'm going to use the words, ease and comfort in the world. Whether it's food or a person, I wanted to take the edge off. And what I keep realizing over and over again is that the edge that I need off comes off by working these steps, being close to my higher power, getting out of my ego, not living in my character defects. I used to have a laundry list every single day when I woke up of people I was mad at, 
I literally had a friend that I would call at least five times a week. And I would tell her all of the people, whether it was a soccer coach manager or a teacher at school or a neighbor that I was mad at. I can confidently tell you today, I don't wake up mad. I don't wake up with a list of people that I think have wronged me. My relationships have been restored. My relationships have been transformed. Are all of them perfect? No. But they have changed dramatically. I can tell you that my mother-in-law was buried two years ago. And she was someone that I really struggled with. By working these steps, she is someone that I would kiss goodbye. She is someone that I liked to be with. I enjoyed her. My mom, I couldn't even be in a room with her for an hour without arguing with her, without trying to change her, without lashing out at her. I had open heart surgery a little over two years ago, and my mom came and stayed with me. And I don't even know if we had an argument. And as my mom took the bus back to Omaha, Nebraska at 6 in the morning, she told me that God kept me alive after my open heart surgery so that I could help others have faith and teach them to be nice. And in summary, I believe that's what the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous invites us to do. It invites us to have the best personal relationship with every person we know. I have written checks for as big as $500. I have walked into places and told them that I stole from them. I have done all of my amends. But when I do my nightly review and the question comes up, do I own amends? Yes. Every single day I own amends, a living amends to my family that live under my roof, my husband. It's something that I'm always looking at how can I show up to be of service to him and one of the biggest ways is to appreciate him and tell him I'm grateful for how hard he works and what he does um, I did a 10 step right before my open heart surgery I just have to tag this one at the end and I actually did it with Leon who spoke earlier today I was mad that my husband didn't clean up dog poop after that 10 step, I learned that's my job. And I'm going to tell you, Leon, I'm still cleaning up dog poop gratefully. And like I said, my head was on backwards. I thought that's my husband's job. But God is teaching me to get out of my ego and be of service so that I can be free and not pick up my foods again. And I am so grateful to be here and for all of you that helped me show up better and have that personality change that needs to happen. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy Joe P. Step 10, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Presented by Ken W.H. from Pennsylvania. Star one to unmute, Ken.
Let's give a moment for Ken to come online. I'm sorry. Can you hear me, Leah? Yes, I hear you now. I'm not sure why that was doing what it was doing. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you. Um, I'm Ken W.H., uh, recovered compulsive eater, now living in Cary, North Carolina, although I do uh, I was born in Pittsburgh, so uh, I have relationship to Pennsylvania. Um, step 10, uh, a little history. My fat came early. For me, lots of name-calling, which I'm sure we're all familiar with to some degree, or many of us. Um, there was a fraternity, I was in a fraternity when I first went to school and I had a caricature uh, done, all of us did, um, just a kind of a fun thing. But I was depicted with a triple chin, rolls of belly fat, and a beer tap sticking out of the back of my head. It was not a pretty picture. Um, perhaps my... I worked strenuously for uh, strenuous physical work for many, many years, and maybe that kept off an extra 50 pounds, I don't know. But uh, when we were married, I was at my highest, somewhere between 230 and 240, and it was all fat. There was no muscle to be found. <laughs> um, my brothers and I used to fight over how much food we got to make sure that we each got the same amount. We would fight over cutting a block of ice cream so that we all had the same size chunk. Um, I went to my first OA meeting somewhere around 1984. I had been introduced to the 12 Steps in 1982. 1984-85, uh, I went to my first meeting. I wasn't ready. And when I walked in the room, there were about 30 women and myself. And uh, so I just, any excuse, I just wasn't ready. And many relapses were to follow for the next 30-plus years, uh, both in and out of OA. Um, but I, uh, I kept bottoming out. I kept having terrible relapses uh, and the shame, guilt, remorse. Uh, last year, a year, year and a half ago, just before COVID set in, uh, I had come out of a relapse and someone told me about vision and I started. Uh, I was reluctant at first, uh, but and the last, um, my last flirtation with sugar brought me to a place of full surrender, even to being a part of a vision for you. Um, that was a year ago, July 9th. So I'm just past the year and I'm so grateful for it. I have been in some form of recovery for almost 40 years, um, but it took till <laughs> coming into a vision for you to finally start to understand what the big book was really all about. Um, I got a real sponsor who then proceeded to show me the way through the steps um, without spending a couple years at it. <laughs> uh, those steps I had memorized almost 40 years ago um, that had changed my life then and uh, are now changing my life in ways I still couldn't have imagined, particularly step 10. Uh, what I have, and it tells me, in the book is that I have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Um, the step says, 
continued to take personal inventory, meaning never stop. I heard someone say, continue, continue, continue. That paragraph, first paragraph in step 10 says, continue three times in it. Uh, obviously, that's important. <laughs> so um, I have now been continuing for uh, since I came into the program. And I'm, I'm aware that it's watching out for the selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear that can crop up at any time. And the big book says when they do crop up, not if they crop up. And it says when wrong, promptly admitted it. The big book also uses the terms uh, at once, quickly, immediately. That means now. Uh, and the big book makes that really clear. And I missed it for 40 years. And then turn our thoughts to others. Then turn. I have to admit, I have to do the 10th step first and then be ready to share with others. And then uh, another axiom is that when, uh, when I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. 12 and 12 says it's a spiritual axiom that whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me, not I did something wrong, made a mistake or broke a law. Perhaps I did, but but it's rather something in me is out of whack, off kilter, off the beam. And that condition needs to be dealt with immediately, right now, in the moment. If, if what you do makes me angry, or better to say, if what you do gives me an excuse to be angry, I'm in the wrong, and I'm out of whack. I'm in danger, you aren't. And so with step 10, do I want to continue to heal from the effects of food addiction? Do I want to be well? Well, certainly I do. And so I've been given this, uh, the new understanding of the step taking place all day long, all the time. And I was given this simple process, state what the resentment or disturbance is, what is it stirring up? What is it, what is it affecting? My pride, security, or those sorts of things. What is the fear driving it? I, I once said that I didn't have any fears, and I was full of them. I just couldn't see the reality of the fears driving my life. What is my part? You know, in other words, what is wrong with me? What's out of whack with me? It isn't about you. <laughs> And do I owe any amount, men's? If so, what and when? And what is the defect that needs to be removed? And then praying to God in the moment to have that done. That's a step 10. That's the one that's been given to me. That's the one that I use now uh, on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. And um, it has changed the way I am. I am not who I was when I came into recovery 40 years ago, and I'm not who I was a year ago today. So I thank, thank everyone on this line who have helped me, and I wish everybody a happy, blessed anniversary. Thank you for letting me share, Leah. Thank you, Ken W.H. from North Carolina. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Presented by Rick J. from North Carolina. Good morning, Leah. My name is Rick J. I am a 
impulsive overeater from Cary, North Carolina, right down the road from Ken. And uh, I am recovered, but not cured. And the first time I heard that, it was from someone who carried a message of depth and weight to me and shown a light that truly began this spiritual awakening process that it talks about in step 12. You know, having had a spiritual awakening is the result of these steps. And for me, I needed something, you know, early on in my life. I had this hole in my soul that I was born with. And I first found a way to fill that hole with food when I was six years old, going through a lot of fear and emotional turbulence with uh, my mother who was mentally ill. And I went on to find this relationship with food because it was doing for me what I could not do for myself. It was changing the way I felt. And as I went on in this search for ways to fill that hole, it led me to alcohol. It led me to drugs. Uh, it led me to ultimately uh, a 12-step program that uh, that led me into sobriety. And um, funny thing is once the, uh, once the alcohol and drugs were down, the food was back in my life. I was still trying to fill this hole, and I didn't truly realize that I was not taking sufficient action for the effect of a spiritual awakening. So I kept seeking the effect in something. And back in October of 2019, I, I had been through some extreme emotional turbulence. And I was back to where the food was in my life again, and I was hiding it. And I was trying to sponsor people in OA on days that I wasn't binge eating. And I was sharing with a dear friend of mine this. And once again, they, they were shining a light for me. And I really didn't think I could do it. I didn't think that I could recover. And I just said, look me in the eye and tell me I can do this. You know, and, and God was there with this person and was able to give me that message of depth and weight and hope. And I was at the Outer Banks soon after that in a house full of sober men for a week and our annual what we call a spiritual resort, <laughs> um, you know, with every binge food that I could possibly imagine. And I just knew, I knew that I was not going to be able to, to survive that without help. And I went out on the beach and literally and figuratively hit my knees and called a recovered man I've heard on Vision for You, asked him to be my sponsor and started working these steps with him in the big book. Now, here I am sitting out on my porch over 18 months later, and I'm, I'm really experiencing a connection with the God of my understanding. Leia read out of the big book on page 28 about that we are the children of the living creator with whom we may form a relationship upon simple and understandable terms. 
as soon as we are willing and honest enough to try. For me, step 11 is the way for me to strengthen and grow my relationship with this God of my understanding. I had to unblock myself from my hundred forms of fear, self-seeking, self-delusion, self-pity. You know, that core, that root of my troubles. And I went through that inventory process. And I believed that by doing that, by taking these actions, it would lead me into recovery because I could look at you who were recovered and see that that's what you did. And you now had been transformed. And I could hear it in your voice. I could see it in your actions, most importantly. You know, I could look in your eyes and see that there was that spark of love and life that was coming from another power source. And that's what I wanted more than anything. So as before, even though I had so-called worked the steps, which for me meant pretty much going down the steps like a list and checking them off without really diving into the instructions as laid out in the big book. And when I was working steps 10 and 11, because I combine steps 10 and 11 now, for me, they're symbiotic with each other. I really cannot have the complete effect of one without the other. I was skipping weekends and days would go by. And so what would happen is when I'm not connecting with my higher power, then I am reconnecting to my power, to my selfishness and my self-centeredness. It's like an engine. It's never fully shut down. It's on idle. And every once in a while, it fires up. And the more connected I am to this God of my understanding, this, this power greater than myself, the safer I am, the more connected I am, the more clarity and spiritual perspective I have, the safer I am. And I never really got that it's working these steps all the time. And for me, if I'm working step 11 all the time, I'm working all the steps all the time. I love the, um, the segue between step 10 and 11 on page 85. One of the most powerful paragraphs in the big book for me. But after it's describing the promises, and there's promises all through the big book, you know, from you know, from steps two and three, that transition where we are reborn, completing step five, where we begin to have a spiritual experience. As we're starting the inventory um, process and making amends, you know, we're knowing a new freedom and a new happiness and suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And all, all those two promises I just read there were our bookends and in between is just a more descriptive way of how we are living in a new freedom and a new happiness now and how we suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then we go in and see that you know, we are in a, in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. The problem has been removed. We're no longer fighting. We have a new attitude. This problem doesn't exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. And I love that it says, this is, 
This is how we react as long as we stay in fit spiritual condition. Sorry, I'm having some timer issues. Um, I'm going to have to take this out. But um, Leah, what's my time right now? You have a couple more minutes. Okay, thank you. I um, I have to remember that this is how I'm going to relax so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And I call this the so long promise. Uh, this is both a promise and a warning because if I'm not staying in fit spiritual condition, it's so long, Rick. And I have to stay in this spiritual condition by working the steps. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. And I do say these these questions at night and I review my day. You know, and it's it's uh asking me where did I forget to do a step ten or where did I forget to pause, basically. So I'm gonna start that morning bringing the corrective measures from the night before into my day. And following through with these corrective measures is part of my spiritual transformation. This is where I'm bringing in new thoughts, new ideas, and I need spiritual help with that. I can only do this through the actions. You know, when I'm praying for God to direct my thinking through the day, and I can see, you know, if I've got some problem areas ahead, I'm going to remember to pause to be shown all through the day what my next step is to be. You know, pausing for me is probably the most powerful aspect of working step 11, and it's really a way to work all the steps. It's like seeing the brake lights coming on ahead in traffic out on the freeway. I'm not going to keep in cruise control going 70 miles an hour until I slam in the back of a car I'm going to immediately put on my brakes when I see those those brake lights ahead of me. This is a warning. This is I'm feeling a disturbance now. I can bring God into this. This is what I want. I want to have inspiration to gradually become a working part of my mind. I can come to rely on this, but I have to keep doing the work. And the more I pause, the more connected I am, and I don't have to wait till I'm agitated or doubtful. I don't have to wait for an agitation to build into anger or resentment. I don't have to wait for doubt to build in to fear. I can feel this disturbance and I can pause and I can ask for serenity, courage, and wisdom, for strength, inspiration, and direction in this moment. I can get my self-will out of the way. I can disengage. I'm literally hitting a pause button, disengaging for myself and connecting to God. The pause promises tell me that when I do this, I am much and much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. I love that promise. Five little words there. I love that promise. And I think of pausing. I think of the exciting fear wasp to tie all that together. Wasp being sort of an acronym for worry, anger, self-pity, rearranged a little bit. But it's exciting in their sphere. And I definitely need to 
remember that a part of me wants to pick up my rock and throw it at a wasp nest. And then everywhere there's wasps flying around and stinging me and also stinging those around me. So I'm pausing now. And the, the foolish decisions are going to come when I have gotten caught up in some form of excitement, fear, anger, worry, or self-pity. So I'm pausing now. This is my carry around my toolbox out in my day, out in my life, and I'm going to stop and use them. I'm going to open up that toolbox and pick up a tool. That's where the power of step 11 comes in for me. I am strengthening this connection to the God of my understanding so I'm not so easily disconnected. I don't want to continue to only have to make amends and see where I'm wrong, and I have to do that when I'm realizing that I have to talk to someone now. I can do that in a pause, but I want to strengthen this connection with my higher power, this relationship that I have. This is where my life is with God, is bringing God into every aspect of my life. I am undisciplined, so I do let God discipline us in the simple way we've just outlined. And and for me, I really relate to this a little bit better is we have a lot to learn and we let God teach us in the simple way we've just outlined. It also tells me that there are many prayers and books out there that I can use, including this big book, the stories in it, the 12 and 12. There's other books out there and you know where they are. And we have so much inspiration here. We can bring anything we want. It's this amazing adventure into the fourth dimension. It's unlimited. It's the ultimate adventure for me. It's an adventure with God. I go out there, out my door, out into my life, out into this world, God's world, and I let him hold my hand. I actually will hold God's hand in my mind because his hand is always there, but sometimes just like a child. I'll wrench my hand out of it, and I'll go run up in my direction. But it's so wonderful to be a part of this fabulous meeting, this ninth anniversary with over 17,000 meetings. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rick J. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Presented by Kathleen O. from California. Good morning. This is Kathleen O., recovered compulsive overeater in California. And step 12 has been life-changing for me. I find what recurs in the 12th step is joy and freedom. And how did I get here? How did it happen? Well, in one word, action. I think I came out of the womb with a food problem because I remember at a very young age obsessing over food. In kindergarten, I looked forward to graham crackers and milk. I went to Catholic school first through fifth grade, and every day I brought my lunchbox and couldn't wait to eat whatever hostess goodie my mom put in that box. You know, I might have forgotten my homework, but I never forgot my Barbie lunchbox. And when I was young, Friends' birthday parties were about being able to get the biggest piece of birthday cake. I always wanted the corner piece with the biggest rose. 
As an adult going out to dinner with friends, I could never understand how they would take a bite of dessert and stop because they were full. I mean, what did full have to do with anything? I had a problem, a big problem. Food ruled me. I obsessed about it. I couldn't stop thinking about what I was going to eat, how I was going to get it, and where I was going to find a place to eat in isolation. And thankfully, after asking God, who, by the way, I really didn't believe in at the time, but asking God year after year to make me skinny and wishing on birthday cakes every year to be thin, I found my way into 12-step recovery for food addiction. And we tried to carry this message to alcoholics. When the message was carried to me, I heard I would have freedom to be around all the food items I couldn't get enough of and no longer want to eat them. Freedom from the food and freedom from fear of eating again, freedom from diets, I was in. In meetings, I found men and women who had my same problem. I thought I was the only one who could buy a dozen donuts and devour half of them before I ever, ever made it home. And I met people in 12-step recovery who told me they had the same problem, how they solved that problem and were happy and willing to help me solve the problem. And I didn't have to pay anyone any money. Now that was novel. I originally sat in meetings and thought, I'm just here to lose the weight and then I'm out of here. Now that's a great definition of selfish. I wanted to take it, but I didn't want to give it back. But after working the steps, I realized I wanted to help others. And in helping others, they actually helped me. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, I had a spiritual awakening after taking the first 11 steps. And there are probably as many definitions of a spiritual awakening as there are people on the line. But for me, a spiritual awakening was an overpowered feeling of freedom and happiness. And knowing the God of my understanding had my back as long as I kept a strong connection and gave back. Learning and experience that the more I gave, the more I got, had a very powerful impact on how I work my program. Having a strong connection with God has proven to be life-saving in some very challenging times. I have felt safe and protected when the reality was I should have been immersed in fear. In steps 1 through 11, which have beautifully been described today, those steps are something we get. In step 12, it's something we give. Step 12 tells us, Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from compulsive overeating as intensive work with other compulsive overeaters. I needed a purpose and to feel useful in recovery, and helping others fulfills that purpose. We tried to carry this message to others, and that is exactly what the people who helped me did and what I do when people want help. We understand what normal eaters will never understand. We have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And, you know, once I started, I couldn't stop. And when I mustered up the willpower and did lose weight, I could never stop from picking up again. One cookie was never enough, and neither was the whole package. It gives me great pleasure to pass on to others still suffering what was so freely given to me, and I never believed that was possible. And here's the message we pass on, that if we can believe in step two, and decide, make a decision in step three, and act in steps four through nine, we will get the promises in step nine. And what are those promises? Freedom and happiness. No more feelings of uselessness, selfishness, self-pity. And if we do go down that hole, we get out of it really quickly with the help of God and each other. We're promised that fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. 
These promises are real and they changed my life. Recovery comes through a vital spiritual experience as a result of these steps. I can carry the message and offer hope through the power of the steps. And the message of how I now think, feel, and act as a result of these steps is what I carry to others suffering from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I want everyone on this line who is new or struggling to have these promises and gifts. If you are willing, we will help you. At the end of every live meeting, Monday through Friday, there are always people giving their names and numbers to sponsor. We want nothing more than to see you succeed. Embrace the sponsor and follow their guidance. Your sponsor will be there for you when you need help. And there are sponsors anxious to help if you want to help, but you must be willing to go to any lengths. There is no magic wand and there is no cure, but there is hope and there is help. And this program of action truly, really works. And to practice these principles in all our affairs, the 12 steps are a set of principles, directions that tell us how to live. When we practice these principles in all our affairs, we will be peaceful and content. I am free from what used to make me miserable by helping those still suffering from this very painful disease. It doesn't make me special, but by practicing these 12 steps daily, I can help others find joy and freedom. And that is actually, to me, the definition of pure love. I'm so grateful to Leah and Melanie and all who started Vision nine years ago and spent endless hours keeping it strong. The daily message of focusing paragraph by paragraph are what saved me when I heard about Vision over eight years ago. So thank God for Vision, where we hear the message and we carry the message. And happy, happy ninth anniversary, Vision, and I pass. Thanks, Leah. Thank you, Kathleen O. Thank you to all our speakers today, Joe M., Diane B., Kim G., Leon B., Barbara P., Chuck K., Tamara C., Naomi B., Kathy Joe P., Ken W.H., Rick J., and Kathleen O. for sharing your experience, your inspiration, and your messages of hope and possibility. Today's Share ID 17,378. That's 17378. Happy ninth anniversary of Vision for You. Thank you to all the OA visionaries out there, near and far, for your participation, for your dedication, for your service. May our society continue to prudently cleave to its single purpose the carrying of the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. We'll now close from page 164. Of course, you know it's from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. 
We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.